So as we are walking our way through uh, the, these closing chapters of John uh, and walking through again, the events of Holy Week and, and the, the, the last days of Jesus' earthly life, but before we jump back into the trial uh, before Pilate, which is where we, we t- touched on it, went into it last week, we're going to pick up right back where we left off, back going back over some of what we looked at last week. But before we do that, I want to, to, to rewind a little bit into the Gospel of John, because today is Palm Sunday. It is the triumphal entry of Jesus. It's, it's a, the, the commemorative day that we remember when Jesus entered into Jerusalem in glory and in and, 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 and fulfilling a lot of prophecies in doing that. Um, and, and this was a game where he... he ascended down the Mount of Olives through the Kidron Valley and up to into the temple. And again, just realizing it's just, just over a year ago, I was in the Holy Land just over a year ago, and I stood right at that place. We walked down the path, right, of the triumphal entry. And, and, and again, seeing that come alive and, and realizing just the, the, the weight of that area, right, and just walking on the path where Jesus walked. But before we jump into his trial with Pilate again this morning, I want to go back and just read John's account of the triumphal entry. And we find that in John chapter 12, verses 12 through 15. So if you have your Bible with you, uh, you I welcome you to open up with me to John chapter 12. Again, if you're here with us in person, you can use the Bibles in the seats that are provided for you if you don't have your own. You can see the page numbers there uh, where you can find this passage in those Bibles. And if you're with us online, uh, you can grab your Bible or you can just listen as I read it. So the triumphal entry of Jesus, John's account of the triumphal entry in John chapter 12, starting at verse 12. And it says, The next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down the road to meet him. And they shouted, Praise God! Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Hail to the King of Israel! Jesus found a young donkey and rode on it, fulfilling the prophecy that said, Don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem! Look, your king is coming, riding on a donkey's colt. You see, again, Jesus enters the city through the golden gate of the temple, uh, riding on a donkey, and, and which, again, fulfills uh, all kinds of prophecies by him doing that. In fact, we see John here in verse 15 quotes Zechariah 9.9, where uh, it was prophesied thousands of years before Jesus did it, right, that, that the, the Messiah would enter the city riding on a donkey. As we see the events of this, the, the, this triumphal entry um, starts the Holy Week. And it fulfills all kinds of predictions and prophecies, and it starts in motion right, the, a, a string of prophecies and of days and of the last events of Jesus' earthly life. And when we look at Holy Week, as we step into Holy Week once again this year, and again, it's something that we celebrate every year as a part of our faith, and so uh, we can get very used to it, right? It just becomes routine, and, and yet I hope that we can always come to the scriptures and come to, to every holiday, especially religious holidays that are connected to our faith, with fresh eyes every year. Right? One of the reasons in, in, when God tells us to celebrate these holidays is so that we will remember what they mean, right? And it, it, we will be reminded of the power of them every year. And when we look at Holy Week, Holy Week is about the fulfillment of predictions. It's about the fulfillment of God's plan and the proof of what love really is. 
As I said, there are lots of prophecies, there's lots of, of events that were foretold, there's, there's, there's lots of evidence, again, that Jesus was truly the Messiah and that, that he was living out all of these things, and, and yet ultimately it was proving right, what God's plan was to save the world. In fact, we can go back to the early part of John, one of the most famous verse of John, right, that says that God so loved the world that he sent his son. And we see, again, that the Holy Week fulfills this entire plan, right? God's plan to redeem his creation through the Messiah. Now, as we go through the events of Holy Week, the, the, the next popular one is the Last Supper, which happened on Monday, Thursday. And then Thursday night, again, into Friday, was Jesus' arrest and his trial, Right, which we looked at last week. And, and last week as we looked at that and at his arrest and his, his, his trial in front of Caiaphas and then moved on to Pilate, we, we learned that popular opinion isn't truth and that following the crowd instead of following the truth is dangerous. Again, we saw how Pilate knows that he's been painted in a corner and he tries to get out of it with the Passover tradition of, of releasing um, a of one of the um, convicts or arrestees or people that, that he has there. His motivation, however, was all about public approval. He knew the truth, but yet he tried to get out of living up to that truth however he could. And we saw how Pilate was motivated by the approval of others, and we saw last week of, of, as well as, as disciples and Caiaphas, how everybody was motivated by all kinds of things that runs down to selfishness. And how the core of every sin is selfishness. And yet Jesus was motivated by love. So much that when he, that he was living out the gospel of grace, even on his way to the cross, even when those closest to him betrayed him and abandoned him. In what we looked at last week, one of these predictions or commandments of Jesus that becomes fulfilled throughout uh, this last week of his life is John 13, 34, and 35. So now I'm giving you a new commandment to love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other, and your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Again, Holy Week is about seeing God's love in action. And because we are loved by God, then we are then able to love others because we experience true love from God right, through our faith and our connection with Jesus. And the motivation of Jesus is still love today, still in 2021. That has not changed. Jesus' motivation is still love, and Holy Week proves to us what love really is. So that we as followers of Jesus can pass that love on to others. So as we are reminded of this foundation that we started last week, of, of how, how John 18 fulfilled so much of what was predicted in John 13, um, we're going to jump back into this trial uh, of Jesus before Pilate, and we're going to focus on this today. Like I said, we read the first half of it last week. I want to go back and read it again just to refresh those who heard it, and, and uh, for those that didn't hear it, that you, you can be reminded of what happened here in, in John 18. We're going to pick back up here as after Jesus has been arrested, he's already gone to the high priest Caiaphas, and now they have sent him on to Pilate, who was a Roman official and who was in charge of Jerusalem at this time. So, John 18, verse 28. 
says, so Jesus' trial before Caiaphas ended at early hours in the morning, and then he was taken to the headquarters of the Roman governor. His accusers didn't go inside because it would defile them, and they wouldn't be allowed to celebrate the Passover. So Pilate, the governor, went out uh, to them and asked, what is your charge against this man? We wouldn't have handed him over to you if, you if he weren't a criminal, they retorted. Then take him away and judge him by your own law, Pilate told them. Only the Romans are permitted to execute someone, the Jewish leaders replied. And this fulfilled Jesus' prediction about the way he would die. And then Pilate went back into his headquarters and called for Jesus to be brought to him. Are you the king of the Jews? He asked him. And Jesus replied, is this your own question or did others tell you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate retorted. Your own people and their leading priests brought you to me for trial. Why? What have you done? And Jesus answered, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. And Pilate said, so you are a king. And Jesus responded, you say I am a king, and actually I was born and came into this world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. What is truth? Pilate asked. And then he went out again to the people and told them he's not guilty of any crime. But you have a custom of asking me to release one prisoner each year at Passover. Would you like me to release this king of the Jews? But they shouted back, no, not this man. We want Barabbas. Barabbas was a revolutionary. Again, I want to pause there before we go into the second half of the trial, because this, again, is the first half. This is the passage we looked at last week. And just as I said last week, this is the climax of the gospel. Again, everything uh, in the gospel, all the events, all the teachings, uh, were leading up to this point. And this is where the truth gets proven. Just as we saw last week, we'll continue to see this week that, that John was leading up to this point. He was predicting it in a lot of ways, and, and a lot of, of, of statements and predictions earlier in the gospel all come to fruition here in chapters 18 and 19. We see in verse 32, as we read it, uh, that, that John reminds us that Jesus had predicted how he would die. In fact, this prediction comes from John chapter 12, verses 32 and 33, where Jesus says that he will be lifted up on a tree. In verse 37, we we see another reminder, right, of um, and, and fulfillment of what was happening as Jesus claims that he is the truth, which references John 8, 42 through 47. And yet we see these fulfillments happening here, and yet the, the biggest connection goes back to John chapter 10. And in John chapter 10, uh, uh, Jesus makes this, this big prediction about his own life and about um, why he came. In John chapter 10, verses 17 through 18, Jesus says, he says, The Father loves me because I sacrificed my life so I may take it back again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily, for I have the authority to lay it down when I want to, and also to take it up again. For this is what my Father has commanded. Again, as Jesus tells us here, right, that he is going to lay down his life, that he has the power to do that, and he also has the power to take it back, to rise again. If we look at, the, the again, the premise of this series is that his time is coming, and Jesus is submitting to the authorities of, of this earth, right, to, to fulfill that plan. 
In fact, that's exactly what Jesus tells Pilate, isn't it? He says, no, if I was a king, like, my followers would fight to protect me. And in fact, when we think about that, that's exactly what happened, isn't it? Right? Peter fought for Jesus, and yet Jesus reprimanded him. He says, no, put your sword away. I must give up my life. Right? These things must happen so that the plan can be fulfilled. Again, the, the trial builds up to this point, right, as we get halfway through, okay, where Pilate um, comes back at Jesus in, in verse 38, and he says, so what is truth? Pilate asked, and then he went out again to the people and told them he's not guilty of any crime. Like I said, the, this conversation builds, and, and we kind of wonder, it almost seems like that Jesus might be confusing Pilate more by his answers, and yet he comes to this very quick conclusion. So much so, right, that he just throws this, this phrase to Jesus, this question of what is true, this, this very foundational question, and then he goes, doesn't even wait for the answer, right? He, he walks out to their people and declares, this man's not guilty of anything. Like, Pilate's made up his mind about the guilt of Jesus, and now he's faced with what to do about it? Like, does he act on the truth that he already knows? That Jesus is innocent? Because if he does that, he needs to release him. Again, he tries to get out of this corner that he finds himself in, right? This, this quandary right? of do I, do I live out the truth and, and therefore um, deal with the ramifications, which are going to be violent, Right? And uh, the mob mentality right, will take over in the city. Right? Or, or do, do I try to find my way out? And, and as we know, right, again, he, he, he tries to take it out, as we see, right, by releasing a prisoner, and yet the crowd doesn't play into his hand. Right? The, the crowd instead plays a different card. No, give us Barabbas. We want Jesus crucified. And now... As this plan backfires on Pilate, he is now wondering, how am I going to get myself out of this predicament? I have an innocent man that the mob wants killed. Which then, after this plan backfires, we see Pilate move into the second phase of the trial, which is in John 19, 1 through 16. So we're going we're gonna to read the rest of it. John 19, picking up at verse 1. It says, Then Pilate had Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip. The soldiers moved a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put a purple robe on him. Hail, King of the Jews, they mocked as they slapped him across the face. Now, I realize that's only three verses, right? But I, I want to I focus on these three verses before we move on. As it says, Now is as... We, we're not really in any more trial, right? It's just this pilot moves to, the, to a, a new step, a, a whole new strategy, as the pilot has Jesus flogged and mocked. 
As, as he's been asking Jesus, well, are you a king? And, and of course, Jesus doesn't deny it. I mean, he, in fact, he claims he is a king, right? But, but not, not an earthly king. And, and Pilate, as he's trying to figure out exactly what's going on here, Pilate turns to a typical routine that Romans use to get people to talk. Flogging. Again, flogging was a form of torture. It, it would, similar to, you know, ways that we would torture people today, right, to get them to talk, similar to, like, waterboarding, right, or something like that, right? Flogging was, uh, was a common way that Romans used to find the truth out of someone. Again, it says that he, he was flogged with a lead-tipped whip. This was known as the Roman flagrum, Right? or also known as the Cat of Nine Tails, was its street name. Now again, just like any sorts of for, forms of torture, they wouldn't go to, to the most extreme first. I mean, the, the, the Cat of Nine Tails, was uh, the lead-tipped whip, was, was kind of the end of the road. This was the one that you would use, but you would build up to it, right? Because you would start with, with just a leather whip or reeds or just hitting them on the back, whatever it would be, right, to just to see how far you had to push them before they would break and then tell you whatever you were trying to get out of them, right? And, and, and so the, the whole point of flogging, like I said, was, was to get people to confess, right? It was never meant to be lethal. Right? It was a form of punishment and of torture, but, but it was not, supposed to kill people. That, that was not the intention. Again, it was used by the Romans as a form of torture designed to get people to talk. However, right, flogging was very brutal, especially if, they, if you, they worked their way up to the cat of nine tails. If you got to that point, I mean, it was designed to be horrible. Right? And, and the way they would flog you would be they would literally tie your hands to a post, right, and like beat you with stuff. They, and, and if they move up to this lead-tipped whip, this was, again, there's, there's lots of just different examples and theories. If you Google it, you can find all kinds of, of interesting, uh, you know, ideas of what this really was. And we can go back through history and find it. But, but what we do know, right, is that the, this, this Roman flagrum, the cat of nine tails, was, was very brutal. It was not just a whip, it was, again, just as it, there was nine whips all braided into one, and, and, and the lead and on it, right, on the, the tips was designed to literally rip out chunks of flesh. Right, it would be lead or bone or glass or, or, or teeth or whatever it was, right, that, would, that was literally designed to, to shred the human body. Now, Flogging was never meant to be lethal. Like I said, it wasn't supposed to kill you. It was just supposed to torture you to get you to talk. And, but yet, this, this cat of nine tails was so brutal, right, that, that it was commonly believed that 40 lashes was lethal. Right, that that's the most that your, your body could handle. Right, before your body would go into shock or from blood loss or infection, it, it would kill you. And so they were very careful, of course, to not do that again. Their intention was not to kill Jesus, but to get him to talk. 
And as we realize this, right, with this knowing, again, the question, why would Pilate move to flogging Jesus? Well, because Pilate wants the truth. I mean, that's literally the question, right, that, that, that ended this discussion with Jesus. What is truth? So he was literally testing Jesus. Right, is he going to break? Is he going to confess? Is he going to give in, right? Um, so, again, he was testing Jesus to see if he will retract his claim of being the truth. And he's also looking for Jesus to get him out of this predicament. Because if Jesus caves, if he changes his answer, right, then Pilate's not painted in a corner anymore. And he can either release Jesus or he can execute him and, and Pilate's hands are clean. And as we look at this and, and dive a little deeper below the surface, we realize that flogging Jesus was a test by Pilate to answer what is truth. As it gave us this abrupt end to the conversation with Jesus, it wasn't the end. I mean, Pilate was still trying to figure out that answer. And then in the midst of that, right, they put on the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And this, again, was all about mocking him into humiliation to break Jesus, to confess. To confess that he was lying. But Jesus didn't break. Jesus endured the suffering. He endured the torture. Because Jesus had already given the entire truth. In fact, by him not breaking, by him not changing his answer, he was fulfilling his words. Not just his claim about being truth, but, but his words that we looked at in John 10, right? About laying down his life as a sacrifice. Because the sacrificial lamb is silent as it goes to the altar. We see here many times throughout the text, it's mentioned about the fact this was Passover. Now again, Passover is a Jewish tradition that started right in the Exodus, where the blood of the lamb saved the lives of God's children. And this was a holiday that was supposed to be celebrated. In fact, that's what the Last Supper is. It was the Passover meal. And there's lots of symbolism and lots we can go in there that we just don't have time to touch on today. But I will say is that, again, Jesus has become our sacrificial lamb. He's taking the place of that Passover lamb. The timing of the Last Supper and of Jesus' death and resurrection is not coincidental. We'll talk more about that on Friday. But Jesus, again, is fulfilling his words and he is laying down his life. He was not going to break because Jesus had already said all of the, that was true. We're going to pick up here in verse 4. So Pilate went outside again and said to the people, I'm going to bring him out to you now, but understand clearly that I find him not guilty. 
Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said, Look, here is the man. And when they saw him, the leading priests and the temple guards began shouting, Crucify him, crucify him. Take him yourselves and crucify him, Pilate said. I find him not guilty. And the Jewish leaders replied, By our law, he ought to die because he called himself the Son of God. And when Pilate heard this, he was more frightened than ever. He took Jesus back into the headquarters again and asked him, Where are you from? But Jesus gave no answer. Why don't you talk to me, Pilate demanded. Don't you realize that I have the power to release you or crucify you? And then Jesus said, you would have no power over me at all unless it were given to you from above. So the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. And then Pilate tried to release him, but the Jewish leader shouted, if you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who declares himself a king is a rebel against Caesar. And when they said this, Pilate brought Jesus out to them again. And then Pilate sat down on the judgment seat on the platform that is called the stone, the, called the stone pavement in Hebrew, Gabbatha. It is now about noon on the day of preparation for Passover. And Pilate said to the people, look, here's your king. Away with him, they yelled. Away with him, crucify him. What, crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the leading priest shouted back. And then Pilate turned Jesus over to them to be crucified. As we read this this conclusion of this trial with Pilate, we realize that Pilate completely knew the truth. In fact, he tried every way he knew possible not to crucify Jesus. Especially when he finally realizes what Jesus' claims really mean in verses 7 and 8. Again, Pilate has been trying to find the truth. And again, Jesus hasn't, hasn't came, right, to, uh, came out and told Pilate why he was really there or even what the fulfillment of that truth was. Again, notice in 7, the Jewish leaders finally shout back of, of the real reason Jesus is there. He says, by our law, he ought to die because he called himself the son of God. Right, now, now Pilate realizes the weight of who's standing in front of him, right? And what truth really is, right? That he's claiming to be God, which is why we see in verse eight, which is one of, I think, the most honest verses in all of scripture. When Pilate heard this, he was more frightened than ever. And that moment is where Pilate realizes what he's really dealing with. And notice that Pilate kind of freaks out. He pulls Jesus back in. Pilate talks to him a little more sternly this time. Why don't you tell me what's really going on? Why, don't you realize the authority that I have? I could literally kill you or I can release you. Why aren't you helping me, Jesus? And then we see Jesus' response in verse 11 where he says, you would have no power over me at all unless it were given to you from above. So the one who has handed me over to you has the greater sin. Now as we realize this, Jesus is finally helping Pilate. 
Because Jesus gives Pilate the green light to have him crucified. In fact, Jesus gives him permission. He says, Pilate, it's okay if you crucify me. He's telling Pilate, it's okay. But notice, though, what Jesus doesn't say here. He doesn't say that Pilate's not a sinner. He doesn't say that Pilate is, is not guilty or getting off scot-free. Right, Pilate is a sinner, just like all of us are. Right, but but he, he does give Pilate an out. Right, and he turns the spotlight back on the Jewish leaders. And he says, the ones that have handed me over to you, they have the greater sin. And yet, in this moment, this, in this verse 11, is, you can just imagine the tension that's, that's between Jesus and Pilate. As the weight of what's really happening is, is on this man's shoulders and this leader who, who has this earthly authority. And yet, it kind of makes us wonder, is Jesus, you can just imagine Jesus peering into Pilate, right? And just saying these words about, like, Pilate, it's okay. okay. Right, that you're, you're carrying more weight than you need to. Right, in this moment is, is, I believe, where Pilate probably really realized what love really was. Right, and in this moment is where we have to step back and ask the question, who was really on trial? Because the reality is Jesus wasn't on trial. Jesus was in complete control. Right, who was on trial was the world was on trial. Right, the Jewish leaders were on trial. Pilate himself was on trial. Now, notice he was found to be guilty of sin, but not the greatest sin. What was really on trial was to test hearts, to reveal people's true intentions. Again, was the world going to be open to accepting and believing who Jesus really was? Or were they just going to push him off and get rid of him out of their life? Jesus gives Pilate the green light to crucify him so that righteousness will be available. And the greater sin is refusing to believe in Jesus. In fact, we can look back in Scripture and see that's the only sin that's unforgivable is to not believe in Jesus. And this, as we see here, is something that Pilate is not guilty of. Pilate believes that Jesus is telling him the truth. Because Jesus has passed every one of his tests. Right? No, nobody gets through flogging without breaking. But Jesus did. Pilate asked this question, what is truth? Pilate tested Jesus on that question of what is truth, and Jesus passed every test. And in that moment, I believe, is where Pilate realized that truth 
was standing in front of him. Right, that Jesus was everything that he claimed to be, including God. Right, and as we realize this, right, that again, Pilate had been on trial, that ultimately the religious leaders were the ones on trial, right, and they were found lacking. And yet we also see how Jesus was continuing to live out the gospel of grace before the cross, even to Pilate. Because notice again what Jesus didn't tell Pilate, he was not free of guilt, but he was redeemable. Because that is the core of the gospel. That's the, the, the mission of the Messiah, right? Is that everyone can be saved. Jesus loved the world. Again, in John 16. Again, Jesus' words, right? Where Jesus tells us what the, the, the worst sin is. He says, the world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. But righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Again, he is giving Pilate the green light and saying, like, righteousness will be available because you're going to crucify me. But those people that gave you over to me, right, they are committing the worst sin. Not believing Jesus. And Jesus' own words are being fulfilled as he is standing in front of Pilate. As Pilate realizes that Jesus is the answer to his question, what is truth? Jesus. Which leads us then to the natural question we need must ask ourselves. What will it take for you to believe in Jesus. Right? Pilate sent him through all of these earthly tests, right? That, that nobody will withstand, but Jesus did. What will it take for you to fully believe in Jesus? Again, Pilate right, submits to the authority that Jesus puts over him. And he gives him the green light. And then we see this conclusion in verse 16, right, when it says that then Pilate turned Jesus over to them to be crucified. Now, this is, this is a huge verse. That you see, it's really not a huge verse, right? It's, it's a short statement, but it, it's huge. Right? It's huge because it, it, it shows Pilate submitting to truth. Handing Jesus over to be crucified. He says, fine, Jesus, you fulfill your plan. Plan so that redemption can be had. Again, Pilate went on quite a journey through this trial. He started out being motivated by the approval of others and by appeasing the crowd, and Pilate ends up submitting to God's authority right, as he turns Jesus over to them. Again, Pilate didn't crucify Jesus. Right? That's exactly what Jesus told him. He said, Pilate, it's not your fault. 
Your sin can be forgiven and redeemed, right? Theirs, it's their fault, right? He handed Jesus over to them. In fact, in Matthew's gospel, Pilate literally washes his hands in front of the crowd to show that he held no responsibility for Jesus' death. And what Pilate realized that day is the same thing that we need to realize every day in our life. And that is that God is truth and that truth has nothing to hide. We can put God through all kinds of tests, just like Pilate did, right? We can, we can dig into our questions. We can admit our doubts. We can, we can move forward through history, through archaeology, through, through literary proofs, through our own experiences, through the history of the church, through all. We can, we can dive deep into the deeper layers of even scripture, and yet God is not afraid of our questions. He is not afraid of our doubts because God is truth. And truth has nothing to hide. God will pass your tests just like he did Pilate's. God is truth. And he has nothing to hide. Pilate did the work to examine who Jesus was. And he found what truth really is. Again, the religious leaders had a very different approach to Jesus. Their way of life, their comfort, their power, their wealth, they were all threatened by Jesus. And they held on to their hard hearts and were not willing to accept the truth of who Jesus really was. And in all of that, they committed the sin that Jesus describes in John 16, which was not believing in him. So I'll ask you again. What will it take for you to fully believe in Jesus? Will you submit to his authority in your life? What questions do you have that aren't answered? What's holding you back? I encourage you, if you have questions that aren't answered, ask. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open. Because God is truth. And truth has nothing to hide. And God will pass your tests. God is the rock. He is the alpha and the omega. Right? When the world around us crumbles, God is still there. What will it take for you to fully believe? And surrender to Jesus. You do that by joining the journey of faith, by accepting him as your savior. That's how you join the journey. Right, that first initial prayer of confession and repentance and, and, and inviting God into your life. Right, that's how you're saved. And once you take that initial step of salvation, then, then we start a new journey of moving towards truth and learning more about who God really is and, and what that means in my life. And, and yet, and just submitting again to Jesus the same way Pilate did. 
And I don't know where you're at in your faith journey today, but I, I hope that you'll move closer to Christ today. That you, like Pilate, will realize what truth really is. Which brings me to my final thought today, and that is this. God proved to the world what love really is through the events of Holy Week. Is your heart open to the truth? And will you live out that truth as you journey forward? What's God asking you to do today? What's this Holy Week really going to be about this year? Is it going to be about accepting the truth for the first time, receiving him as your Savior? Is it going to be about living out that truth after you've accepted him as your Savior, living that out every day? Take your step forward. You know, whatever God's asking you to do today, I hope that you will do it. God, we praise you that you have overcome the world. God, we thank you, God, that you are our sacrificial way. God, that you show us what truth really is. God, you show us what it means to be loved. God, we thank you for Jesus. God, for the events of Holy Week. God, that he fulfilled the mission that you sent him on into this world to live a sinless life, die on that cross, to rise again so we can be redeemed. And God, I pray, Lord, that Lord, that you would help us, Lord, to live into your truth every day. Lord, whether that's accepting you as our Savior for the first time. Lord, living out our faith every day as we journey towards you. God, fulfilling the great commission, God, of spreading your love and your gospel to the whole world. Lord, as we go this week, as we enter into this holy week, God, help us to live out our faith every day. God, to be your church, to shine your light. God, to live out truth. We love you. We praise you. We thank you, God, for all that you do. Lord, we commit to loving you back this week and every moment and journeying forward in our faith. Guide us as we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.